You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Scott Volk. It's, uh, it's great to be here. And every time I come to Queen City, it's a real honor for me, um, having known the Millen family for quite some time and just seeing what God's doing here. It's, it's just an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Let's continue to pray for Robin's swift recovery because there's nobody like your pastor being around. So you guys got me today. Woo! <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't. I wasn't evoking uh, an applause. Um, We're in Mark 16 today, but before we turn there, I just want to say something uh, that was in the news just from a, from a, I want, just want to speak just from a kingdom perspective, just for a minute. I believe hatred of any kind ought to be condemned. There's no, there's no room for hate in the kingdom. I don't believe that when we're spending eternity with the Lord, we're going to need counseling for a problem that we have with somebody else. <laughs> Wouldn't that be, that would really stink if there were counselors in heaven <laughs> or doctors or lawyers. I mean, I'm not opposed to lawyers, but you're not going to be practicing in heaven. Heaven's going to be a perfect place. And as believers, we should always, always, always condemn any kind of hatred. I don't care whether it's against white people, black people, Muslim people, Chinese people, Jewish people. Yeah, 100%. But there's a hatred that predates any other hatred. It's the longest hatred. And it's the most sinister hatred, although all hatreds are sinister. When I got news yesterday of this... um synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh. I'm assuming most of you know what happened. Just a, a crazed man went in and, and took the lives of 11 people yesterday. And um, I want to just, I, I want to remove politics. I never really want to focus in on politics. I, I just want to kind of just pull politics away and talk to you just one minute about the diabolical hatred that the devil has towards Israel. Now, this is not my topic today. I'm going to take five minutes. But I want to tell you why. From the beginning of time, Israel has been a target of the devil. You can find it throughout the word of God. Pharaoh wanted the Jewish boys killed. Haman in the book of Esther wanted Israel eradicated. Herod in the New Testament wanted the Jewish boys killed because he knew the Messiah was coming through a Jewish seed. Hitler, not all that long ago, wanted to see Israel wiped off the map. The king of Iran made a famous statement saying that Israel should be annihilated. Why such a terrible hatred? And again, please hear me. We as the church ought to vociferously vocalize our opposition towards any hatred and be praying. But there's one hatred that supersedes all hatreds, and it's the hatred that the devil has, but it's not towards the Jewish people. It's really towards the Messiah. Because when Jesus returns, the devil's rule is over. So ultimately, it's the devil. It's not the devil against the Jewish people. It's the devil against God. You got that, right? God wins. 
He wins. We know the end of the story. But here's the deal. Jesus cannot return. He cannot return until Israel welcomes him back. When he wept over Jerusalem, he said, you won't see me again until you welcome me back and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And from the beginning of time, the devil has been opposed to anything that would usher in the return of Jesus. So I want to encourage you. We need to be a church that prays against hatred of any religion. You understand? Of any color, of any ethnicity, there's no place for it. There's one disposition that sons and daughters of God must have, and that is a position of love. I don't care if the people that you're looking at oppose you. I don't care what your political views are. There's no room in the kingdom for hatred. And I, I, I just want to I want to pray over the word, and I also want to pray that we would have God's heart in situations like this, because so many people are quick to run to a political platform and really throw away the word when it comes to the disposition of the church in times of crisis and in times of need. I love, by the way, you did, um, Casey did say Palestinian. I, I, I love that you, you did that because I'm involved in a ministry where uh, people go, well, why are you, why are you working in Israel? Why are you doing what you're doing? Israel isn't even the real name. The real name is Palestine. So, I mean, sometimes depending on who I talk to, some people give me a hug. They say, I love what you're doing. Other people go, I can't stand what you're doing. So it's remarkable. The bottom line is God loves the Arabs as much as he loves the Jews. Do you know that? As a matter of fact, God gave promises to Ishmael. He loves the Arabs as much as he loves the Jews. He loves the whites as much as he loves the greens and blacks and browns. There's no ethnicity, no religion whatsoever that God is like, woo, he is for sons and daughters who love him and demonstrate his kingdom wherever we go. So Lord, this morning, we as a, just as a, a congregation, a family, we just want to pray for those who were affected, Lord, by this act of hatred. We pray, Lord, as just a representation of your church here in Charlotte, that you would come, Lord, and you would take the situation that the enemy meant for evil and turn it, great God. Do, do, do something beyond what any man could take credit for, Lord, in the Pittsburgh area. May, may the church arise in that area, Lord. May people just be over, overflowing, Lord, with your, your heart, Lord, to, to every community in that, in that region that's suffering. May Jesus shine brightly in the midst, in the midst of hatred. Lord, even in the upcoming elections, the, the midterm elections here, here in our country, I pray, Lord, that, that every act that the devil would try to do to divide the church for political reasons would just be annihilated, Lord. May, may your, may your sons and daughters rise above politics to embrace, Lord, the kingdom message of unity. Lord, that's the demonstration that will win this world over. Father, make us one, even as you are one, so that the world will know that you were sent by God. And Lord, I pray over this word today that you would take human preparation and supplement it with your spirit this morning as we talk about the greatest day in history, the resurrection from the dead of your son in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's, it's kind of interesting to me uh, that 
today is kind of Easter Sunday at Queen City Church. You might not have known that. But when Robin called me and said, hey, could you speak? He asked me to speak on Mark 16. And because I'm not like, I don't have the Bible memorized, I said, sure, I do it. And then when I opened up Mark 16, it's like, this is an Easter message. (laughs) And so uh, welcome to our Easter service. I don't see any bonnets on any of you ladies. Okay, Mark 16. I just want to read the entire chapter to you. And then ask the Lord to, to really speak. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. You guys just finished Mark 15, which was the crucifixion of Jesus. A horrific, deadly act. I was, I was reading yesterday, I won't even talk about it this morning, but just what crucifixion actually meant. One, one commentator said it's like dying a thousand deaths, hanging naked before the world after being scourged with whips that had uh, shrapnel in it. So that it wasn't just like a, a spanking, but it was a, a tearing of flesh. Death to the uttermost in every way, body, soul, and spirit, utter and complete (sighs) angst to the point where Jesus sweat drops of blood in the garden. This was no easy day, but there's only one reason why he did it so that you and I could live forever so that death would have no place in us. I think we erroneously, the, those who have ever been to a funeral, sometimes you'll hear the person officiating the funeral say from dust to dust. Actually, in the kingdom of God, it's from dust to everlasting life. That our end is not death. And today, I want to highlight the fact that life is your destiny forever as a son and daughter of God. And regardless how hideous of a death that Jesus himself suffered, the fact that on the third day he rose is something that is all complete and makes it by far the greatest day of history. They were saying to one another, verse 3, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. (coughs) Excuse me. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Everybody say, and Peter. That was lame. Everybody say, and Peter. Peter. Good. He is going, thank you. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, 
he appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and harsh and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. Just in reading this over, the numerous times that I read this passage during the week, there were four things that stood out to me, and I'm going to give them to you. The first thing that stood out to me is the pattern in scripture that God is a God who gives life to the dead. Now, if you were here the last time I spoke, I think that was actually the title of my message. I don't want you to think that this is all that I speak on, but since I was given this portion of scripture today, I can't help but reiterate the fact that God is a God who gives life to the dead. That our end is not death, but life for those who believe. Throughout, is it okay if I step down? That Robin's not here, I can do whatever I want, right? <laughs> Listen. Throughout the word, throughout the word, God takes what is dead and breathes his life into it. He takes the dust of the earth. You can't get more dead than dust and blows into it. And man becomes a living soul that God Death is not part of God's plan. It was only introduced when Adam and Eve took of the tree that God said in the day you eat it, you surely will die. That's the only way that death could have ever come into the world is by partaking of this forbidden fruit. And because they partook, God in his infinite mercy set up a plan to abolish death forever. It's as simple as that. If Adam and Eve would not have partaken of that fruit, there would be no need for a messianic figure to ever come. It was, the Garden of Eden was like heaven itself. But death ruins everything. And Jesus said when he came, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And we serve a God who gives life 
to the dead. He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every one of those biblical patriarchs had women, wives, who had dead wombs. All of them. Dead wombs. Sarah, she could not conceive. As a matter of fact, she did not birth Isaac until she was 89 years old when her body was dead. The Bible says in Romans chapter four, not only was she barren, but she was beyond the age of bearing children. So she was old. She, she was done with her fertilization possibilities. <laughs> she, she'd been through however many cycles she had. She was done. Abraham, according to Romans 4, says his body was as good as dead. Duh, he was 99. And God shows up in a tent and says, this time next year, you will have a son. And you know what they did? They both laughed. I would laugh too. I mean, we had a, when Beth was 44, she came to me. We, we have five children. Our youngest at that time was 13 years old, 14 years old. Beth came to me and said, uh, I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, I don't think you are. Well, well she was. You laugh. We cried. <laughs> it was like, how does this happen? Well, we're not crying now. I wish I could go back and take the crying away and go, woohoo, <laughs> which I'm doing now. Her birthday's next week. She turns nine years old this, this week. Crazy. But I thought at 44, that shouldn't be happening to me. How, I mean, how can this happen? As a matter of fact, we, we actually, Beth was smart enough or intuitive enough to put a video camera in the other room the day we told our kids. So we're, we're, sitting, at the, we're sitting at the kitchen table and uh, all of our kids are around the table. And you have to understand something. My, my kids on their Christmas list every year, they were putting, no, we want another baby, we want another baby. And they got, they got, the, they got the point we weren't having another baby. So our oldest was 19 our youngest was 13, so they were like 13, 15, 17, and 19 years old. We're sitting around the table, and we're telling them, we, we said, look, we have, we have something to tell you, but you can't tell anybody. At that time, I was pastoring a church, fairly a, a mid-sized church. We knew, knew a lot of people in town. We didn't want anybody to know except our kids first, Then we wanted to tell our parents. We didn't want our parents to find out on social media that they're having another grandchild, from their aged children. <laughs> so we're sitting around the table and we said, you have to promise. I promise, I promise, I promise. The camera's going in the other room. They didn't know. And Emily, who was 13 at that time, just threw out some guests, something like, we're moving to California. And Beth said, we're having a baby. And oh my gosh, these kids, we actually put it on YouTube Ten, nine years ago or whatever. So Volk kids find out. If you want to amuse, you want to amuse yourself later on today, don't do it now. <laughs> I see Chris on the computer back there. No. Volk kids find out. They went crazy. One of them said, how did this happen? 
<laughs> we didn't give them the anatomological, whatever that is, reasons why it happened. But we were doing everything we could in the natural to never have another child again. Not because we don't like life. We just thought we were done. But I'm telling you, when God wants life, rolling a stone away from a grave and taking a man who's been scourged and brutalized and raising him from the dead, although it's a miracle, it just kind of seems like the natural thing to happen. Sarah, 89. Sarah's son, Isaac, marries Rebecca, who's barren. Rebecca's son, Jacob, marries Rachel, who's barren. The lineage of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus starts, this Matthew 1, 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right? Abraham's wife, barren, Isaac's wife, barren, Jacob's wife, barren. It's deadness coming to life. We serve a God who gives life to the dead. And there may be things that you're hanging on to, promises that God has given you that you may think in the natural are dead. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that God breathes life to the dead. Sometimes things must die first. There can be no resurrection without death. There'd be no Easter if there was no crucifixion. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. But then it bears fruit. That's the word of God. I think a healthy view of death is really wonderful. Sometimes we hold on to things. Thinking somehow that we can breathe our own life into them. When God really wants them given to him so that his life can come forth. Be encouraged today. You, you, you may have some promises of children your, yourselves. You may have some promises of God doing things in your businesses or in your homes. Just because we don't see them as having happened already doesn't mean that God still doesn't care. We serve a God who gives life to the dead. That would be point one. The second thing that stood out to me was in verse seven, when the angel says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. We're not going to read the verses that talk about this, but you all remember, I'm assuming two weeks ago you were in Mark 14, correct? We're in 16 this week. Jesus was talking at the Passover meal and he said, I must suffer and die. He told everybody what was going on and he said, and you will leave me. And Peter says, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. And then Jesus looks at him and says, before the cock crows three times, the rooster, you'll deny me. That was a terrible rooster. Sorry. I shouldn't try to be nearly 
as creative. (laughs) You're with Jesus the Nazarene, verse 68 of Mark 14. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went on to the porch and the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is the one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had the remark to him before a rooster crows twice. I'm sorry, I said three times. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. This dude was weeping because the one person that could give him eternal life was the one person who gave his life for Peter and also the one person who Peter denied ever knowing. He was down on himself, maybe on his entire walk. Maybe he was asking questions. How could I blow it so bad? Peter blew it more than once, by the way. Peter said some dumb things, (laughs) Jesus was in the region of Caesarea Philippi. I think it's Matthew 16, somewhere in there. And he's teaching them also that he would suffer again. But before he talked about suffering, Jesus asked the famous question, who do men say that I am? One one disciple says, oh, Apollos, you know, or Jeremiah or Isaiah, whatever they were saying. And Jesus looked and he said, who do you say I am? And Peter had the revelation of revelations. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looked and said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Like talk about a supernatural revelation. But if I was Peter, I'd be pulling my shoulders back a little bit and go, man, I really came up with a good one today. And then Jesus goes on immediately after giving him that amazing commendation before the other disciples. He says, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter said, you will not die. He was actually rebuking Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Here's Peter who just had the revelation of revelations And in the very next set of verses, Jesus is calling him Satan. That's pretty, that's that's like a massive roller coaster. You're at the top and then you're at rock bottom. That's Peter. Peter who did some great things in his life, but also messed up royally. And on the day that Jesus rises from the dead, He specifically says, please go tell the, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. I love that. You know, I love that because we mess up often. We think Jesus has written us off as just another, another person who says they want to follow me. But when it comes right down to it, when the rubber meets the road, they're not really following me. And I'm here to tell you today, 
that as surely as Jesus rose from the grave, you are not forgotten by the Lord. There's some, there's some terrible strongholds that people have that they walk through. Beth and I were just talking yesterday. We heard of a situation where somebody we love and have known for a little bit is struggling in an area and may have to live their entire life with that struggle. And the devil would say, you don't amount to anything. But God would say, Please tell that person I've risen. There may be some of you who are struggling today with things that you know are keeping you in a relationship with God. And I believe the Lord's calling your name. Don't forget to tell John I've risen. Don't forget to tell Sally I've risen. Don't forget to tell Peter. Tell everybody, but tell Peter. The one guy who messed up in front of everyone. Tell him. Friends, it's the devil, I think, I know, that would keep you from knowing that you're accepted in the beloved. And this story in Mark 16 today, if if I'm here for no other reason, I'm here to encourage you. God sees when we fail. But he also has an arm stretched out saying, don't forget to tell Scott I've risen and I want to reveal myself to him. First thing, God is a God who gives life to the dead. Second thing, God is inviting even the ones who mess up to come because he wants to reveal himself to you. Third thing, verse nine. It says he appeared to Mary Magdalene for whom he had cast out seven demons. This, there's something about this chapter that's speaking so much to me in the way God chooses. If I rose from the dead and I had a choice of revealing myself to somebody, I think I would show up in the most influential home in Charlotte or Washington, D.C., or London, England, stand before the king of England or the queen, look at me. He shows up in front of a woman who had demonic infestation of whom he cast out seven demons. That's how God chooses. God doesn't choose like the world chooses. The people he wants to reveal himself to are not the ones who think they have it all together themselves, but the ones who know that they need a savior. In the same way that Peter would have been disqualified from many of our church boards, we can't have that guy. He just denied the Lord three times. Jesus is the one saying, don't forget to tell Peter. This woman of whom was cast out seven demons, we might write her off. Listen, ushers, If you see this chick coming to church, she had a demonic problem. We don't want her in our service. Jesus says, she's the one. I'm going to reveal myself to her first. That's amazing. That God doesn't choose like we choose. You know, if I'm choosing choosing a, a football team, I take the 10, 12, 15 biggest guys in this room. 
Jesus would take 10, 15 of the weakest so that we don't take glory in and of ourselves. Look what we've done, but so that God gets glory. Look what I've done. You know, when Moses was 40, he was well capable of bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then for the next 40 years, he spends the, the next 40 years on the backside of a desert with sheep and a little, little rod. So that when Moses is 80, God shows up in a bush and says, now's the time. Now's the time. I would have chosen Moses way earlier. I would have chosen somebody that was much more well-known in society. Tell Peter, come to the Galilee. I'm going to reveal myself to Mary Magdalene. Point number one, God's a God who gives life to the dead. Point number two, tell Peter too. In other words, nothing will disqualify you if your heart is after God from God wanting to reveal himself to you. Point number three, God chooses entirely differently than we choose. And finally, the only true response to the resurrected king is worship. I just want to read from Matthew chapter 28, which is a parallel passage to the resurrection. Matthew 28, verses 8 and 9. Matthew 28, verses 8 and 9 says this. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped. Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Friends, I believe that true and authentic worship is not something that you can learn in a worship class. True and authentic worship comes when you have the revelation of the resurrected king. Because worship consists of way more than instruments and songs. As a matter of fact, the first time the word worship is mentioned in the scripture is Genesis 22, when Abraham takes his son Isaac, the one who he is about to offer up as a sacrifice to God, and he takes his boy and he looks at his servants. He goes, you wait here. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And Isaac had a revelation of the resurrected king. I mean, Abraham did. Do you know why? Because Abraham's body was dead. And Sarah's body was dead. And God gave them their son. So if God can do that, surely God could give life to the dead. When we understand and have a full revelation of the resurrected king giving up that which is most precious to us, which is worship, becomes something of a sweet aroma to God and he blesses and gives life back to us. And I think I'm done. Lord, 
Would you just stand with me, will you? Great God, I pray that you would you would just do something in, in this room today with the folks that are here, some of whom are discouraged, some of whom have been hanging on to promises that are that are not yet fulfilled, some of whom, great God, have blown it even this morning, and you're you're extending your arm out because you want to reveal yourself as the resurrected king to us. Lord, I pray that any preconceived Hollywood understanding of what resurrection is would be eradicated from our mind. Lord, you, would you reveal yourself to us? You who conquered sin and grave. You who allowed your back to be ripped apart and shredded so that you could experience the most horrible of deaths in order, Lord, that our sins would be forgiven and our lives would be fully and completely engulfed by a God who gives life to the dead. (laughs) Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Surely, Lord, not among those who you call as sons and daughters and who give themselves to you. May our worship, I'm just, excuse me for interrupting my prayer. (laughs) I'm reminded of a verse. I'm saying, excuse me to you. uh, uh, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable form of worship. And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our reasonable act of worship comes when we lay down our lives for the one who laid down our life for us. I pray, great God, that you would bless my friends. May Queen City Church continue to be a beacon of hope in this city. Lord, may you use this church family Lord, to see the very things that Jesus said his disciples would see. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These signs shall follow those that believe. Lord, you said that in this chapter. And we believe you, great God, for an increase of a revelation of the resurrected king. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son. I, I, I just want to say this before I turn it over. You, you, may, you may be here and not know Jesus. Or you may have an understanding of Jesus but have never truly worshipped him by laying down your life for him. And if you hear his words, and if you, if, if you feel his hand, like Peter did, coming towards him, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to forget about it. Come and see one of the leaders here. Come and see me. Give your life to Jesus, because there's no greater fulfillment, and there's no greater sense of true and authentic life. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for having me today.
You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.